Local voices, local conversations. NapaBroadcasting.com Thanks for joining us here on NapaBroadcasting.com. I'm Jeff Sheckman. Well, there are big races going on in and around Napa County, including a supervisor's race with a great deal at stake, as well as a new assembly member and our own Bill Dodd moving on to the state Senate. The races for Napa Valley College Board of Trustees continue to command attention, particularly Up Valley, where the demographics are changing, where the Up Valley campus can provide amazingly unique opportunities. The race to fill the seat of longtime and beloved college trustee Joanne Busenbark is in full swing. A race between community activist and businesswoman Rosora Segura and education activist and newcomer Debbie Alter Starr. It is my pleasure to welcome Debbie Alter Starr to the program today. Debbie, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Great to have you here. First of all, tell us a little bit about uh, your background and and then about why you decided to jump into this race for the college board. Sure. And and I'm I'm not sure whether the term newcomer applies. Actually, I've been involved in the Napa Valley Unified School District for 14 years and very active in in my community for even longer. I live in Yonville. Mm -hmm. Uh, My kids went to the St. Helena Co-op, so I know a lot of families through the co-op and through also nonprofit work that I've done up and down the valley um, where I regularly outreach to their school board members and to nonprofits and to Latino, um, involved Latino community members as well as the Multicultural Commission and things like that. So for me, it was a natural progression for my involvement in the school district thus far to figure out if I wanted to be a trustee of either the school district or the college. So I looked at both opportunities. And what particularly appealed to me about the college is that it has a shared governance model. And that creates all kinds of different dynamics in the process of being a trustee. What I like is the opportunity to work also with student leaders. They're part of the governance model. So I have a long history of involvement in the Latino community. I've received awards from Napa County Hispanic Network, their Friend of the Network Award, and also Women of the Year Award from Napa County Hispanic Chamber in 2013. So I have a strong passion for our Latino students, but for all students. That's why I've been involved in education for so many years. How do you see the role as a college trustee? Well, generally speaking, um, there are traditional roles that trustees play in all kinds of organizations. And I know that they have a training process specific for new trustees. So Either Rosauer or myself, we would both be new and we would go through training to explain to each of us who've both been on boards before what's unique about being a trustee for um, a college. So I think part of the difference would be familiarity with the Brown Act and all kinds of rules governing being a public servant rather than on a nonprofit board. Generally, in my past experience on boards, The role is to assume some responsibility for whatever decisions the organization makes, while at the same time not micromanaging over the people hired to do the actual leadership jobs as paid employees. So um, over the last 14 years of being very involved in the school district, I have been able to observe those school board members, sometimes striking a position of leadership, for example, providing direction that they want all um, high school students to take classes that count for college rather than classes that don't count for applying to, for example, a UC or even, I don't know if it applies also. It's actually probably the UC requirements. So sometimes that kind of leadership will come at a board level, usually in collaboration with a superintendent or president. But you have to be willing to assume some responsibility, but for the most part, you're along the side 
supporting the organization. Sometimes you have a role in helping to fundraise or to get the word out about the organization. Things like that um, help the organization address its mission as, as best as they can without interfering, but still without being too much to the side that you're essentially not doing anything. I want to come back to something you said before in terms of your interest in the shared governance process mm-hmm. and how you see that within the context of the college and what is it that, that appeals to you about it? Well, I have to understand more about how it actually works. So I think whenever I start a new organization uh, to be involved with them, I have to sit back and listen, talk to a lot of people, find out how things work. I also like to benchmark for example, to talk about how um, another campus is approaching shared governance because a lot of community colleges have this model where mm-hmm. they have a council of presidents from different ask, different stakeholder parts of the college, which includes one president from the student body governance, usually two from the faculty, it's, and one from the classified, things like that. So I would want to understand how that's already working at Napa Valley College. And in fact, I have met with their uh, the gentleman who... Um, I guess it helps facilitate the process of student leadership there. Benjamin, his last name is um, forgetting it at the moment. Mm-hmm. But he explained to me that he had come from places where the student governance, um, shared governance role functioned really well. And that was his goal, was to make the student involvement function even better. For example, to ensure that there was mentoring of students when they sit on committees so they weren't passed over as participants because they weren't fully up to speed. So he said a lot of progress has already been made in making their shared model of governance with students on committees more meaningful. Mm-hmm. And he was just raring to go. He asked to meet with me. I think he probably met with a number of the trustees potentially because he has such a passion for making that work even more effectively. You mentioned that you've been involved clearly in uh, NVUSD and various aspects of that for a long time. Talk a little bit about how you see essentially K through 14 alignment, how you see the community college aligning with what NVUSD is doing and vice versa. Okay, so partly, I know some things already about aspects of the alignment, but again, I would have a lot to do to learn to be really highly technically proficient in, in, in regard to more things about the alignment. For example, I met with Maria Cisneros, who is uh, head of AVID, or she has been head of AVID in the Napa Valley Unified School District. She's a principal at Valley Oak. And she explained how when her AVID students or the district students go to the college, it would be good to have some continuity for them because they're used to some structured support and they can get to the college and it's not quite the same for them. That was one example. But overall, the, the biggest, I mean, where the, the meat of the issue is, is, is in um, readiness to do college work. So when you look at community colleges across the state and also the CSU, California State University System, there are a lot of students who are not proficient in math or reading, I guess, English when they get to these college-level classes, the 16th, wait, that's the 14th grade, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Or 13th, sorry. Um, So they need remedial classes. And actually, Napa Valley College has a higher rate of students who are more prepared than the state average. I was comparing it to several local um, community colleges in, in the region, and they, they're better than Solano also. I can't remember what I saw about compared to Santa Rosa. So we're already doing things well. It's just a question of building on success because this is such a huge issue in our state 
we have so many more students who are part of the achievement gap, as it's been called, and they need extra support to make that transition. But all students need support and guidance. So, again, I need to go on listening and learning about what, what kinds of continuity would be the most helpful. There's already great programs in place that I need to learn about. Talk a little bit about what you see the demographic challenges to be, certainly at Napa Valley College and, and really at many, many of the colleges, particularly community colleges in Northern California. It has been difficult to increase enrollment. Talk about why, in your opinion, that might be and, and how you see that relative to the issues here in Napa. Well, um, demographics in the entire state of California are changing. I was part of a facilities committee, 7-Eleven committee, in 2005 in the school district when we had uh, demographic studies done with a consultant, Jack Schrader, and we're still using that data and having them do more because a student population and the youth population, I should say, in the state is shrinking. Uh, there's a really interesting report done by um, Lucille Packard, um, one of their subsidiary foundation, mm-hmm. foundations, showing that we have the smallest youth population we've ever had. At the same time, our youth population is more um, heavily low income and more students first in their family to go to college, for example. So we need to be attentive to those demographics. And meanwhile, um, the baby boomer generation is bigger, especially in Napa. We have an especially large um, senior population. So these are all parts of the puzzle. Um, That's why overall enrollment is shrinking um, in K-12 schools, to my recollection. Mm -hmm. Um, It varies per region. We also have some really specific ethnic groups here. In American Canyon, we have a large Filipino um, population. I don't know how their needs are being met. We also have geographic challenges where we have a um, far-flung county and we have one main campus and then a satellite up in St. Helena and then also there's some kind of hub. I don't know the best word to explain it. In American Canyon that I've heard people talking about the need to have that utilized more effectively. So I'm just touching on some issues that I need to even better understand. So I guess for these institutions to be fully utilized, we need to be looking at all kinds of students. We may also have changing rates of people re-entering the um, re-entering into new careers who need training. That I don't know the trends in that area. Talk a little bit more about the Up Valley campus that would be in in your district. And, and a little bit about what you think some of the opportunities are to provide more programs up Valley. Well, I spoke to a previous dean of the Upper Valley campus who's been retired for several years and still lives in that community, and she kind of told me a little bit of the history of that campus. And then I listened, actually, to the interview that you had on your uh, website, Napa Valley Broadcasting, with the current dean of the Upper Valley campus. She was just named mm-hmm. uh, permanent Dean, she was an interim, Michelle, I'm going to get... Michelle you know her. Thank you. So I would want to talk to her about that. I also spoke to Jeannie Kerr, who is a uh, school board trustee in St. Helena Unified School District, and her hope, I thought this was a great idea based on what I already heard from the, the former dean, is to increase dual enrollment of high school students at the college. Um, the former dean, I think it's Bonnie Serene, Mm-hmm. Does that sound right? Yeah, it's correct. She had told me that it was really difficult finding that kind of magic formula of what classes will fill up. It's definitely a lower population density um, up valley. 
So if you had more uh, dual enrollment classes, you could be assured that the students would be in the classes because they'd be getting high school credit along with college credit. So I'm curious to see what kinds of analyses have been done up in the area just to see um, what the trends are of utilizing that, that uh, campus. Um, I did hear a rumor that, um, I'm not even going to repeat the rumor because it's just a rumor <laughs> about utilizing the campus differently. But it's always a challenge. We have similar challenges in Yontville, being a small town, uh, making sure that we're utilizing our facilities most effectively. Mm-hmm. I know I also spoke to the mayor of the town, Alan Galbraith. Mm-hmm. I hope I'm saying his name That's right. That's correct. He, um, he was very concerned about the utilization of the college up there and wanted it to be a priority. He said he had spoken to Dr. Kraft, the president of the college, already. So I think that is definitely a, a big um, area of responsibility for whoever is in the District 6 position post-election who wins to make sure that, that uh, they are really serving that community well in regards to um, how that campus is utilized. And do you think there needs to be greater utilization in the areas really where where the jobs are in the valley with respect to, to wine, food, hospitality, culinary, et cetera? Um, again, I, I would want to learn and listen from others. Um, intuitively, it seems like that would make sense. Our friend Brian Avila was the head of the wine instruction at the college for a number of years, so we've had conversations about that. I know that that's a very popular program that draws people from out of area, and, and I don't know to what extent the same thing is happening with the culinary program at the college or how much it competes with the Culinary Institute, which is also up in St. Helena. So, um, and, and I get mailers about the hospitality program, so that seems like a very promising area to develop uh, even further. It's probably going very well So already, so I look forward to learning more about that, and then I would have a more informed opinion about it. Talk about what you, from, from your perspective, what you see as the other challenges facing Napa Valley College going forward over the next five to ten years. Well, as you said, there's been a declining enrollment, um, and it's probably not unique to that campus. Um, There are a lot of issues that are systemic. For example, one thing that does concern me is that the increasing reliance on adjunct faculty at colleges across the nation. So these become some of our workers who don't have the same kind of job security and uh, salary as a full-time worker. And again, this is systemic. It's nothing about the college locally. So I think that the, the situation of faculty um, is a concern of mine. Um, and how do we approach this issue of declining enrollment? Should we be doing more concurrent enrollment with high school students? Would that even potentially increase their success when they're in college later on to start college classes while in high school? Um, you know, I think we have to be careful, though, in trying to develop new markets that we don't stray too far from the core mission of the the college, which is to serve people in our community. That's the one tiny, tiny concern I have about becoming a hub, for example, for international students or others who want to do studies in better culture. Um, that's, that's fantastic. We just need to understand how that works. We don't want to become a campus that increasingly relies on outside students if that has an impact on our local students. And again, I don't really know the situation. It's just a question I have. I know that my kids are college age, and as they apply to the UCs, I did look that up, uh, the data of the increasing reliance on out-of-state students to float the budget of the UC system. 
so that they've gone from guaranteeing admission to the top 9% of students in the state, sorry, from the 12%, 12%. of students in the state down to guaranteeing admission to the top 9% of students. And they have increasingly um, allowed out-of-state students to use our facilities that the state mostly pays for. So I don't know if that becomes an issue to our local campus. Probably not. Again, I, I like to do my homework, and I'm not sure what people would tell me the issues are. I have also heard that students... Um, there are barriers to their completing their programs, and that, that's my main focus, is, is student success. We have good numbers already, but there's still numbers that everyone in the state should be concerned about as far as uh, students completing their programs at the college. Uh, I heard one person describing difficulty getting books as a reason why students drop a class. So coming in, that would be one of my priorities, is to... Perhaps you could say do a SWOT analysis, what's working, what's not working, what's our most important focal, focal point right now. And, and that's, a, that's a process you have to do with the stakeholders to identify their top priorities. There was recently a couple of forums that were held and, and a story that appeared in the register that I'm, that I'm sure you saw mm -hmm. about the possibility of utilizing some of the property here on campus for affordable housing, student housing, it's a veterans housing, etc., Talk a little bit about uh, your reaction to that. Well, I attended one of the forums, and to listen to what people had to say, it wasn't super well attended, um, but I certainly appreciated being there. I learned a lot from being there. Um, and I've been, at the, I've been attending all the trustee meetings since July, so I heard this topic presented twice in, in those meetings as well. Clearly, affordable housing is just one of the biggest issues in our valley and probably in the state. In Northern California as a region, you know, so it should be looking, the college should be looking at that issue as a possible use of the land here. But we have to be careful to keep the focus on the mission of the college. Um, so if, if that property is to be developed for housing, there's just a lot of work that needs to be done with, with stakeholders to, to figure out how that would actually work out. Like one of my questions was, would this be studio apartments for students, or would this be um, groups of four to six students sharing a flat where they share a central kitchen and um, maybe they're two in a room, kind of like a dorm, but without food being offered? I would want to make sure that it was really uh, good use of resources and done well if, if it is done. Mm -hmm. And the idea of it being a public-private partnership that also has economic benefit to the college Right. So I, I like to use benchmarking. There, there was some discussion in that forum about benchmarking, about looking at other colleges who are doing this uh, around the state and the mm -hmm. country and how it's worked out for them. So I think that would be part of the process that, that I would want to see happen. Mm -hmm. So again, you know, just kind of a gut reaction on my part, like if we are trying to grow our international students and it becomes housing for international students, I wouldn't feel so great about that, to be completely honest. Um, we have people working here and, and studying here already who live in the community or, you know, are trying to live in the community, and I think that they're the priority before we provide housing for out-of-county students. Uh, but maybe it's part of attracting faculty here, and, and public partner, public-private public partnership makes sense the way it was presented to me, but I want to just see how do you make it work well. Somebody raised this question about does the college really benefit financially from this or not? And 
over the long term. And I, I can't get into the details of that, but it was a very thoughtful question that he asked that I need to look into further to see how, how it all really pencils out in the long run. Talk about how you see the mission of the college evolving with respect to 21st century learning. I know that's a big issue within the confines of NVUSD, and you've heard it mm-hmm. millions of times, I'm sure. How do you sure. see that relatable to the college? Well, I'm actually looking at the mission statement while we're speaking. So uh, it uh, doesn't use the buzzword 21st century <laughs> necessarily. Um, but uh, it says that uh, the mission is to prepare students for evolving roles in a diverse, dynamic, and interdependent world. So uh, I, the question of how you include the word technology in that mission statement, I guess, could be up for debate. Uh, it's, it says also that it serves the community and students in the following areas, transfer courses, career technical education, training, basic skills. Uh, I could go on and on. So I think that whether or not you put the buzzword 21st century and technology into the mission statement, I would assume that would be implicit. And it's it, certainly the focus of the school district and countywide it's the focus, the direction that education is going in. So we need to make sure that we are using more updated um, um, work products of the students um, that would be more relatable to career skills in balance with traditional liberal arts. Mm-hmm. I guess I, I, you know, I went to college in the 1980s, and I attended I attended a program called Science and Society, which was probably way ahead of its time, which is very applicable to um, the work that I do today as a social worker, or the work I do on boards analyzing systems issues. We actually had classes in system theory and urban planning and various other things. We also had a lot of liberal arts classes to understand, for example, the history of science. So I think you don't have to eliminate liberal arts classes, but it's an important debate. How do we modernize for our times? And then, you know, you brought up this issue of the shrinking um, population or of enrollment. And so if we have increasing baby boomers, what, what classes do they need? Maybe that's not so much related to the continuation of the 21st century skills focus of the K-12 schools. You know, maybe that looks something different. Looks like something different. I don't know. Again, I have a lot to learn. I love learning. I'm a very hard worker, and I do a lot of research. I'm definitely a computer nerd. <laughs> sorry, an education nerd. That's why I've been involved in education all these years. And talk finally about what you see as the nexus between the college and the broader community. This comes up periodically in various discussions. Right. So. I think that that's something that needs some work. I know there was a pretty critical um, editorial written by the Napa Valley Register in 2014 uh, based on perceptions that the college wasn't doing a good job, enough of a good job reaching out to the community and working with them. So I think uh, it's really important, as you mentioned at the, at the earlier in our conversation that we have a huge hospitality and wine and food industry here. Well, how are those industries relating to the programs at the college? Are they on advisory boards one way or another working with the the college? Vocational education is a huge need. These are the jobs that don't go overseas. You you know, we have a plumber who lives across the street from us in Yonville, and you're not going to virtual unstop your toilet. So, you know, or construction um, skills similar, you know, there are electrical engineering, many, many different skills that we need training for that are no longer occurring in the high schools. 
And I've talked to some students who said it's been really hard for them because they have to leave the community to go get training in those areas. And they don't necessarily have the kind of transportation to allow that, or they end up having to look at private programs, which are very expensive. So I think we need to have a lot more interaction with the community. And it looks like, in general, forums, while they serve absolutely a role, we need to do more than just forums, because maybe we need to meet people on their own turf to have better participation and focus groups and do surveys and things like that to get other people's ideas about what that relationship should look like. And talk about who your supporters are in this race. My supporters are largely people who know me from the past. Uh, So I have, for example, this is why I wouldn't say I'm a newcomer to education (laughs) especially. I have all seven trustees of the Napa Valley Unified School District have endorsed me. Uh, Administrators there can't give endorsements, but they say people are welcome to call them and ask questions. I have a letter coming um, to the paper from... um, the president of the board of the Napa Valley Education Foundation, where I've served for six years and really helped to strengthen that board. We're really proud of our improved reputation in the community, all the just ways that we've taken steps forward. So he, he's going to put a letter out there. The town of Yonville, all the electeds are supporting me, including some past elected um, council members. And I have a college trustee, a former college trustee, Brenda Knight, and various people in the community. I think that Rosara and I will probably split the Latino community vote in terms of leadership. I don't know if there will be any endorsements because we've both played very active roles in the Latino community. So, the, and people at the, the hospital also, they're all vouching for how well I work with others, you know, and what a hard worker and how I do my homework. So those are my supporters. Uh, I don't have political connections, but I perceive that this is not really a political office. It's uh, it's education management. Debbie Alta-Star, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Okay, thanks so much, Jeff. I appreciate your time as well. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. Thanks for listening to NapaBroadcasting.com.